Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good, uh, good morning, Mercy Commons. My name is Sean. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, I may be fiddling with my reader glasses off and on. I lost my glasses, so I can see most of your faces, but we'll see if I can see my my, 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 my notes, right? Um, I, uh, man, I am just reminded again, fresh this morning, it's not rocket science, but because of Jesus, we have been forgiven. Uh, we have been given the right to become children of God. We do not deserve it, but that's how grace works, isn't it? Um, as I've been studying the passage this morning, or this, this, this last couple of weeks uh, that we're going to be talking about this morning, I was just really reminded again of not only that Jesus is, not that, not that he's just a religious figure, he is. Not just that he is the sacrifice for, for sins, he, he is. But he is a deeply insightful, extremely wise, and incredibly intelligent person. Uh, he really understands human beings. He understands how life works. Uh, I mean, he's the author and the finisher of, of, of our faith. He understands these things. But we're going to take a look at a passage today where it, it shows that he gets relationships in particular. Um, he understands that people hurt. He understands that people offend and misunderstand each other. And we do that often and with regularity. <laughs> uh, he knows a big part of the reason for that is that we face an enemy who lies to us. Patrick talked about it that this morning, that we face an enemy who lies to us. We face our, our frail human condition that has kind of these rebellious and undisciplined desires, our, our flesh. And we face the patterns and the influences of the world, the ideologies, the values, as well as relational norms and behaviors from our families of origin. There's things that we have learned and that get impressed upon us. And the influences that come at us, the, the devil, the flesh, and the world. There are three things that, that, that are stacked against us. And he deals, Jesus deals, with the world as it is. Not as a, 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 a whitewashed picture of it or a you know, stained glass kind of rosy picture of the world. He, he is a victorious realist. Uh, Jesus, this, this Jesus of ours. Today's passage, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. And this passage really does highlight his relational wisdom. And uh, we're going to be talking about, we're going to talk, be talking about uh, dealing with re- relationships and difficulties in relationships and uh, forgiveness. Now, there, I'm going to try to say a lot of things, but there's probably a whole lot of things I'm not going to cover. And, uh, and so if you have further questions, uh, forgiveness is such an in crucial, crucial aspect of, of our faith. Uh, it's absolutely important. If you have questions about what we talked about today, please come and talk to me, talk to Nick. What, there's a lot that I'm not going to get to say, okay? Uh, but just because I don't say it doesn't mean that it's not there. Okay, so just wanted to just wanted to say just wanted to say that up front. We're going to look at Luke chapter seventeen, verses one through six. Uh, it will be on your screen, um, and uh, and I'm reading from the NRSV. Jesus said to his disciples, "Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. 
It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The first thing I want us to see in this passage, first thing, it's, it's the, first, the first thing that Jesus says is that it's Jesus said to his disciples. This is important because it actually sets the context for this whole conversation that, 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 that we're going to have. We're in this section of Luke where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, this is a time when Jesus is often center stage, uh, as, as, as he should be in, in the Gospels. He's center stage, but just to the left and just to the right are always the disciples or the Pharisees. There is this like back and forth. If you go back, if you flip back to, to earlier in Luke and you start at the beginning of each chapter, you'll see Jesus said to the disciples, then he said to the Pharisees, then he said to the disciples. There is this mixture that's happening and, and that, that's, that's going on. We saw it last week as, as Nick preached, uh, as Nick, Nick preached uh, on, on the, the, the parable of the unjust manager. Um, have you ever been in a situation, have you ever been in a situation where you're in a room and the person that's talking to you is taking the opportunity to also talk to somebody else that's in the room? Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be a, a very, a very uh, clever tactic. Uh, and that is something that we find happening. That's part of the context of what's going on here. G, the, the Pharisees are in earshot, and he's quite happy for them to be listening in. In the same time when he's dealing with the Pharisees, he's quite happy for his disciples to be listening, to be listening in. There's this mixture going back and forth. So when you read when he's talking to the Pharisees, we, we can tend to kind of just like, well, those are the bad guys with the black hats. We're the disciples. The white. No, uh, there, there's, a, there's a great mixture going on, and Jesus is actually dealing with all of us, uh, all of us, all of us at the same time. This is the context, right? This is the context. Jesus finishes finishes speaking directly to the Pharisees, and then he turns back to the disciples to both teach them and also teach the Pharisees that are listening in. While we read this, we understand that reality. He is directly speaking to his disciples and at the same time giving a warning, giving a warning to all of us. The leaven or the way of the Pharisee that can be present in any one of us. That, that, that's part of what's happening here. So what exactly is he saying and you know, is there more going on here than, 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 what, than what we read? There's a, there, there's a, there is actually a whole lot that's happening in this passage. Jesus said to his disciples, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. Remember who's just off stage. I'm talking to the disciples, Pharisees off stage. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. The second thing that Jesus wants us to see, uh, the, the, the second thing I'd like for you to see, the first thing Jesus wants us to see, is that traps are everywhere. 
Traps are everywhere. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come. Your Bible might say temptations to sin are sure to come. Depends on what translation you have. Or it might say it's impossible that no offense should come. There's different ways that, that the translators translate that, that, that word. But because, because that word that Jesus is using is so layered, there's so much in it, uh, we, we see these different, these different English translations. In Greek, it, it might sound familiar to you. It, the, the Greek word is scandalon. It's where we derive our word scandal. This is what the word means, though. <laughs> you see that little stick? <laughs> that little stick for the box trap? That's actually the word. It was originally the little stick that sets up a trap, a bait, a bait trap, a bait trap. Someone would become ensnared. They trigger the trap, become ensnared. In the words of Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. <laughs> All right, hey, Saxon, I knew you'd like that one. That's Star Wars reference for the Star Wars nerds. In the, I'm one of you. Jesus uses the noun version at the beginning of this. He uses the noun version, occasions for stumbling are bound to come. At the end of, of this little passage that we, I just read, um, when he talks about these little ones to stumble, he's actually act, talking about the, the, the entrapped part, um, noun, noun and verb. He's telling us the nature of this world apart from him is that these things will come. In fact, he's saying it's impossible, it's impossible for us not to come across these little traps. They are everywhere. Throughout our lives, church, it's going to happen. You will come across traps. The devil, the flesh, the world. There's a lot of different things. A lot of different things. There's two ways to look at these traps, in a sense, from the context of this verse. Enticement to sin is absolutely and completely here. Um, that, is, that is definitively one of the things. Again, the, uh, the devil lies to us, our, sin, our, our flesh wants what it wants, and then the world comes at us. So enticements to actual sin and moral failure, that's definitely here. But the one that I think is maybe even more insidious, and we don't normally think about it, um, and, and maybe more likely what Jesus has in mind due to the context, remember? There's a, there's a religious, the religious leaders, the Pharisees are listening in, are the deceptions the ideologies and the teaching that lead us away from the reality of God's kingdom and our life of faith in Jesus, our life of building on the rock on which we, which we sung. What are we building our lives on? This has always been the case, but it's definitely something that has been highlighted and exposed these last couple of years, I think, right? Uh, these have been a couple of doozies, um, as we said more than once, uh, Rigby Wallace, he's an advanced pastor from South Africa that we're in relationship with, and we love Rigby. Um, at the very beginning of COVID, his wife Sue had a kind of a prophetic word that, um, that while many would, uh, would be focused on being exposed to the virus, that many would be exposed by the virus, that there would be this time of revealing. I mean, that, she said that like really early, like, like way, way early, and um, I, I don't know about you, but I, it's been true. It's been true in my own life. Um, there's been a lot of things that have, have, have come up in the last, uh, the last couple of years. I've been surprised by things. Um, I've been surprised by the things that have made me really angry uh, or fearful. Um, 
alignments or values, beliefs that I had held maybe too tightly or gotten too comfortable with or, or, or how easy it seems these days to lose any nuance and paint people with really broad brushes um, and, and jump and move to judgment and believe really quickly uh, that, that what we see someone else doing, they should be doing this. There's a whole lot of shoulds <laughs> uh, happening. And I, in my own heart, in my own life, I've seen that. I'm like, oh, man. Whoa. I think the best place to see this, ex- this, this exchange, this kind, of, this kind of thing, is, uh, is when Jesus is dealing with Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 and 23. You, uh, you, you, might, remember, you might remember the story. You know, Peter is, uh, Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. Uh, Jesus has just asked the disciples who they say he is, and Everybody's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, he has the right answer. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter gets it right, you know. And Jesus gives him a little kudos in front of the other, front of the other disciples and, and then starts talking about um, how he's got to die. <laughs> uh, that's what Jesus starts talking about. about how, from that time forward, he starts talking about how he's got to die. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, time out. Uh, you know, by the way, you remember I'm the guy who the Father has shown who you are. I just, Peter pulls Jesus aside. Peter pulls Jesus aside and begins to correct him. You know, it's like, he, he, Peter's like, hey, you're the king. You are the king. You're the Messiah, remember? The son of the living God. You're it, man. I didn't sign up to die. We're marching to Jerusalem. Like, this is, I know how this goes. You deserve the glory and the honor. You will not die. That's never going to happen. That's literally what he says to him. This will never happen to you. Peter thought he knew what was best for Jesus. He was sure of himself. He took it upon himself to pull Jesus aside, rebuke him, and he had a belief. He had this expectation of what the Messiah should be. That expectation was deceptively false, and it had become a filter for how he saw Jesus. And Jesus' words didn't line up with his twisted expectation. So he pulled him aside and gives him the riot act. He rushed to a judgment on what Jesus should be doing, who Jesus was. Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, adversary. Get behind me, Satan. You are a scandalon to me. You're a trap. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, Pete. Jesus felt the temptation of the trap. He was tempted like us. He just didn't ever screw up or even come close. But he still felt, he experienced the temptation. It's not hard to imagine for an absolute nanosecond that that temptation comes out and like, you know, yeah, you know what, I am the king. I could take over. Why don't I do that? That sounds a lot better. <laughs> no, 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 get behind me. You're a trap to me. I must be about my father's business. I experienced something really similar when I was, I was maybe 23, 20, 24 years of age. I mean, some of you have heard me share maybe this story before, but I, um, 
I went to uh, I, I went on a mission trip uh, to uh, to Israel. I stayed in a Muslim village just on the outside of uh, of Jerusalem. It was right. It was the summer after 9/11, and it was during the Palestinian Antifada, which is an uprising. Uh, it was on the news every night. Stuff here was on the news every night. There were no tourists. The State Department said, "Hey, don't go." Um, I went. I really felt like I was supposed to go. I, I went, and uh, I was scared. I was really scared. I mean, living in a Muslim village, it was awesome, by the way. It was an amazing experience. But I'm, in my first week, the missionary takes me to this church, takes me to this expat church, his church. Um, uh, English speakers, Americans, Europe, Europeans, were, um, were, were, were breaking up into small groups for prayer. I'm like a 24-year-old 20, young guy. Like, I don't know anything. I don't know what I just signed myself up for. I'm terrified. I don't know why we're popping here. But, um, I, you know, the... the I, we, we get in these little groups, and they say, let's pray for each other. So I, uh, I, I turn, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing like a Muslim outreach, and I'm just kind of scared. And, um, you know, I, I could just really use prayer. I want to be faithful to what God's got me here to do, etc. And before I even finished, one of, one of, the, one of the, the ladies that was in our prayer group said, well, what's your position on Israel? I was like... Uh, I'm like, hey, I, I, you know, hey, a geopolitical conversation on Israel—that's that's a that's a fine conversation to have, but right now, I, I'm right now. What, what I'm what I'm more concerned about is the Great Commission, and I'm a scared kid. I just want some prayer. I want to do I, I want to do what God sent me here to do. I don't want to have a geopolitical conversation. You are this is a trap to me. <laughs> I, you know, thank God that the missionary that was there with me, he handled it really, really well, and we moved through, and they prayed for me, and it was, it was all fine, but I, I, it, was a, it was kind of like a, whoa, it, it, something about me saying I was in a Muslim village triggered something for her that gave me a response that was not one of God's concerns at that particular moment. <laughs> it was a human concern. Uh, and, and, and we had to move through that. In particular, this warning is to anyone who causes one of these little ones, uh, uh, causes one of these little ones to, uh, to, to, to stumble. Um, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you're thrown into the sea, and for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Boy. Ugh. Second thing that Jesus is doing here is he's urging us to not be the person setting the traps. Don't set them. This is a sobering little passage, right? This is a sobering thought. Now, I don't think Peter or that particular, uh, that particular woman that was in the church should have a millstone hung around her neck and thrown into the sea. Is Jesus suggesting that this is the exact punishment for causing a little one to stumble? No, I, 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 I don't believe that he's saying that's the punishment. He is, though. We have to take him at his word. There's a serious, there's a serious nature and, and reality to what he is saying. He says, woe. He says, woe. This word implies a warning of disaster. And here's the other thing. It's often mixed with pity. This is not Jesus wringing his hands with a sinister snicker 
yeah, let's put some millstones around people's neck and drown them. That is not, that is not, that's not the nature or the character of God. He weeps for Jerusalem. He pleads with prodigals and older sons. His heart is that none should perish. This woe is more like Matthew eleven twenty one and 22. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. There is a sense of coming reality and pity and woe. Ah, judgment, disaster, ruin, and pity. He's grieved. It mixes with anger, but it's anger that it shouldn't be this way and a sadness that it is this way. In particular, this warning, as I said, is to anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble. Matthew 18 adds some more context for us on who Jesus means by these little ones and also how precious they are to God. Matthew 18, picking up in verse 10, after the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest, and he puts a child in their midst and, and, and says, you know, and says that you have to become like a child to inherit the kingdom. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He says also earlier, one of these little ones who believes in me. There is this context. He's not just talking about children. He's talking about people who have come to faith in him and are even just kind of starting off. Woe to you and woe to me if we are the cause of their perishing. Brothers and sisters, especially those of us who've walked with Jesus for a while, this is a warning. This is a warning that there's all sorts of ways. I think especially in our kind of cultural moment where we can inadvertently set a trap or a stumbling block for someone because of our own reactivity. Those, those are, are not new. Th those, those are not new things, right? Um, the, uh, the Paul, Paul, put, uh, Paul put it like this. And it sounds like you wrote it last week, honestly. Um, Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Wow. Think about that for a second. Just that, just that. <laughs> Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any scandal on, stumbling block, obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Remember, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and is also speaking to the Pharisees and the Pharisee and all of us, the leaven of the Pharisees. He says, the next thing he says, though, the next thing he says, he's speaking to the disciples, is be on your guard, be on your guard. He wants us to stay on course. After he finishes speaking about stumbling the, and, and giving the warning against causing a little one to stumble, he makes a declaration, be on your guard. The word here means to hold, to hold. It implies the mind, to hold the mind. 
to pay attention, be aware, be careful, be concerned. This word was also interestingly used in reference to a ship remaining on course. There's all sorts of things that want to pull us off course. Beware. Hold your mind. Hold the course. Keep your focus. Jesus says, be on guard. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Paul warns Timothy not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather the furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Keep your eyes set on what's important. The enemy, the flesh, and the world will pull us off course if we do not keep our focus on the life of faith and the kingdom of God. I was talking with, uh, with someone this week about this and how hard it is to navigate so some of the stuff that's just hard to navigate right now in the times that we live in. And um, this part of the reason that we're doing this whole deeper and wider focus, actually, as, as a church, things have, uh, have caused rage or deep fear. I mean, we've gone through a massive shift, and it's been quite traumatic for all sorts of different, for all sorts of different reasons. Those things that have risen up in us, we should be suspicious of in our own hearts and our own minds. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And at the same time, when it comes to anger, the world, the, the word, the word of God tells us through James that wisdom that is from above is first peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield. Brothers and sisters, we have to be on guard. Jesus, in his incredible wisdom and his patience and his kindness and his strength, he doesn't end the statement there. He gives us two very important remedies for stumbling. Two very important remedies for, for stumbling. Ways to avoid the trap. He says, be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. There are two remedies that Jesus offers to us for stumbling. Two. The first one is that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus says, if another disciple sins, that's important. The Bible is very clear about the reality that we're commanded to forgive in general, right? That, that is an absolute command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command that we are to forgive. But this is a specific instruction for forgiveness within the family of God with, with, with one another. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. Jesus is not advocating here that we jump all over each other anytime that we feel like we need to confront people. I, uh, I had a friend, none of you know him, <laughs> not from California, so just in case you're trying to figure out who I'm talking about, you don't know him. Um, he, 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 he talks about this himself, but man, he went through this like, really, Val knows him. She's the only one who doesn't know him. Pretty legalistic period of his life where Dude, I heard him say the word confront 
probably weekly, that he felt like he needed to confront somebody. It was just like, I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not. It didn't produce a lot of fruit. Uh, let's, just, uh, let, let's, let's just put it that way. Jesus is not here talking about, hey, go, go gripe to someone anytime somebody does something to you that you don't like. He's not just talking about, in general, the uh, Festivus for the rest of us, the airing of grievances. This is, this is not what Jesus is actually talking, uh, talking about here. Uh, in fact, the, the, the Greek word for rebuke is really fascinating. It's a really fascinating word. It means to correct, and in a lot of like classical Greek uh, use of the word, it's a strong correction. There is a, there is a definitive nature to it. But it actually also has a connection to the concept of honor and honoring of someone. Wow, that actually tempers what that means a lot. It's, it's, it's a correction but an honoring of, of, the, of, of, of the person, the honoring of the other person. How you approach then has a lot to do with how we do this well. Peter... <laughs> Didn't, uh, didn't have the right, uh, didn't have the right uh, frame of reference when he's rebuking Jesus. This is the way it is. You're not lining up with the way it is. So you're, that's not going to happen to you. Right? We have to be careful of the things that we have, kind of our own judgments, our own expectations for, for other people. So he's, that, that's not what he's talking about. There is this, this heart of a faithful rebuke is not from on high telling you that you're wrong. I mean, you know, out of deep concern. <laughs> Right? It's not, it, it, that's, not, that's, not where it, that's not where it's at. We, we've got to ask ourselves where our heart is as we approach a brother or sister who has wronged us or hurt us or started to drift in a way that's not going to be good for them or for others. That's one of the things that the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course that Neil's leading um, does a really good job of. And I know there's still some seats open, so if you haven't, that's a, that's a plug. Um, but it actually it does ha- help you to look at what's going on under the surface of, what, of what's happening uh, to you. And, man, you got to be careful what you preach on because what you preach on will come to you in the week that you preach on it. Um, I, uh, I was, we were talking about it. Uh, we were talking about it last night. I, I changed my example because I thought of it this morning, Val, because it was a little too close. Um, I uh, I dropped my son Jack off at school on Thursday Thursday morning, and I won't give you all the details, all the gory details. But there was something that happened with him. It wasn't rebellion in him; it was fear in him, and it was overwhelming him, and it overwhelmed me. I was so angry. I was so angry. I was reactive to his fear in a way that was not good. I'm not just talking about your run of the mill like. I'm like, I, lo- I started to lose my voice. I screamed at him so bad. That's not normal. I don't normally do that. I got home. I, I, just, ugh, I just didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, Val stepped in. I, Val stepped in, did what Val does. Um, <laughs> um, but she said to me, she's like, you just need to stop. You need to stop. And then after a little while, I went to my room. She went to Jack's room, helped Jack, took Jack to school. Everything was fine. She came back and she said, I think maybe you should journal about that. Maybe you should go and ask the Lord why, what was going on for you 
why you responded like that. Valerie did for me what this passage is talking about. She rebuked me. She gave me an opportunity to respond. And later that night, Jack got home. I talked to him about it, told him what was happening in me, and I asked him for his forgiveness. I shouldn't have screamed the way that I screamed. It wasn't right. I'm very grateful for the rebuke of a dear friend and my wife. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppress the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. The second remedy for stumbling that Jesus gives us is unending forgiveness. Unending forgiveness. And band, you guys can uh, you guys can join me back up here. Jesus says, if your brother or sister repents in response to your rebuke, you must forgive. And it's not just to forgive, it's to keep on forgiving. And if the same person sins against you seven times, really? Seven times a day? Every day? And turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. Now it should be said that Jesus is not supporting staying in an abusive relationship or having no boundaries with people that have hurt you. That's not what he's talking about. However, he is raising the bar significantly on what seems reasonable. <laughs> in fact, other rabbis had, had a saying that said that you were to forgive three times but not four based on a passage in Amos. <laughs> it's crazy. You can do three. Once, yeah. Two, yeah. Three, yeah. Four, no. <laughs> uh, not four is just too many, too, many, too many arrows. Forgiveness baseball. Yeah, you're out. This was deeply shocking. This was deeply shocking to the disciples. And I love their response, because I feel it too. Like, you got to increase my faith. I don't, uh, what? That, that seems really unreasonable. I don't think I've got the capacity to do what you're telling me to do here. I, 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 don't, I don't know that I can do it. But when it comes to forgiveness, as well as most things in the Christian life, I have good news for you and for me. The word forgive here. One of the things Val and I were talking about is like, Jesus says to forgive. I was telling this to Nick earlier. Jesus says forgive. It's an imperative. And I'm like, I don't see how he's telling us how that works. But it's actually there. It's actually, he said, forgive, just forgive. Just can't you do that? Ah, forgiveness, it, we're learning this in inner healing. It, there's a process to forgiveness. There is an active choice, but forgiveness can, can be a process. It's just not lip service. The Lord will come in and deal with you. Here's the, here, here's the how. The how is actually in the definition of the word on the idea of forgive. The idea of forgive is to let go, to give up a debt, to keep it no longer. Because what are you keeping? I'm keeping this. You know, part of, part of what forgiveness, what it looks like is to surrender, is to let go. That's the how. And who are you letting it go to? The one who is able to help you and me to take it and to bring healing to our lives. 
Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, Paul continues to add to this idea of how do we forgive? How does this work? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Did you hear the first word? Let all bitterness be put away from you. You have an active responsibility, but there's someone else who's acting on your behalf as well. There is a spirit that comes along and helps us as we, as we choose to forgive, as we choose to, to step forward, as we choose to be obedient. Because we have been forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes and helps us, and we, we learn to let go. We let it go. The disciples thought it all depended on them. That's why they freaked out when he told them. Like, hey, somebody messes with you seven times, you got to forgive them seven times. Like, wait, what? I can't do that. Well, you can take the first step. I can help you with the rest. We have different resources. <laughs> Uh, if, if you know Jesus and the Spirit has come into your life, you have, a different, you have a different set of tools. You are a new creation. There is new power available to you that you did not have before and that the world does not know. There is a supernatural reality to this. They thought it depended on them. Jesus responded to them with a little bit of a correction. <laughs> you don't need more faith. If you have a tiny bit, it's more than enough because it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's about the strength of the one we have faith in. It's not what you and I bring to the party. <laughs> it's what's already in the house. It's what's already in the house. Brothers and sisters, let us be people who know how to love each other well. Watch out for traps that are set for us and that we might be tempted to set ourselves, they will come. They're going to come. But we can, we can do what Jesus is asking us to do because our hope is in him and he does all things well. Amen. There's a, Another parable Jesus spoke of when he uh, spoke to his disciples it was a parable of a king that forgave his servant a massive debt. And then that servant went and grabbed his fellow servant by the neck and said, you owe me $10, pay up. Um, one of the ways in which Jesus increases our faith to be able to forgive those that have harmed us is a fresh revelation of how much we've been forgiven. I just want to invite you to posture yourself in um, just in a contemplative way. And I, I want you to think about a moment in your life where you experienced the freedom of forgiveness. 
It could have been a moment like Sean experienced against someone. It could have been the moment where you came to faith. It could be a moment that nobody knows about, literally just between you and Jesus. And I want you to stay there. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to just remind you of that moment. What it felt like to to be sent away debt free. What it felt like to know that you didn't owe anything, that it was completely written off. As you have that memory in your mind, I want you to look down at the cup and the broken body of Jesus and know that that's why you can experience what you've experienced. His broken body brings us wholeness emotionally, spiritually, and physically. His shed blood paid the penalty for our sin so that we can walk in freedom debt-free. We started this morning by singing a creedal song that was uh, developed in the 300s. We end this morning by taking a meal that is over 2,000 years old. They all represent the same thing, that we are a needy and dependent people and taking this meal reminds us that we do not have the capacity to do what Jesus has asked us to do but for the Spirit of God that lives in us because of his shed blood and his broken body and as before we move on I also want to ask you to then think of someone in your life that has hurt and harmed that you now have the privilege of sending away debt free. That in this moment, as you have rehearsed the gospel of forgiveness, ask the Spirit of God, God, is there a brother or a sister that I can in this moment say, I forgive you. Increase my faith, but I forgive you just going to give you some time to to do that Jesus I want to thank you for these men and women I want to thank you that there is a desire to live in a way that is worthy of the call of Jesus I want to thank you that it is your spirit that enables and sustains the difficult call of forgiveness. But God, I want to pray for these precious people. I want to pray for just a fresh revelation of how much they've been forgiven. And I want to pray for the strength by your Holy Spirit 
to be able to send people away debt-free. Would you stand with me? Lisa came up to me and she just reminded me that uh, that just because we don't sense or feel the presence of God does not mean that He isn't actively present and doing something. Um, and she recounted a time where she was asking God for that sense of His, his tangible presence um, and, and felt alone. And she just wants to be able to pray for those that are feeling, particularly in the context of forgiveness, just wanting to sense the tangible unction of God in that. And Neil and myself will be uh, on the left with some other leaders to your right. If you need to receive prayer, just want someone to lay hands on you and help you. Because sometimes as brothers and sisters, we need help to unburden ourselves with regards to the area of forgiveness. But we're just going to land singing that great hymn again. Jesus, we thank you that you are the rock. You are the foundation on which we stand. You are our rescuer. You are our teacher. And that by your spirit, you are always with us. You desire to be with us, and we get to be with you. You are our hope, and we love you back as best we know how. And the church said, amen, amen. It has been wonderful to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not done yet. I mean, we're done, but for anybody that wants to hang out, we're not done. Around the back, kind of, there's coffee and donuts. We'd love to get a chance to, to meet you and talk to you. And again, what we're talking about today is such a complex thing relationally. If you've got questions about forgiveness, if there's things that we didn't say, there's a lot there. Please come talk to one of us if you have questions about that. We love you. Go be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.